Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Renee here. I am so excited to be sitting down today with Mia P. Manansala. Um, You may have heard of her books, Tita Rosie's series. It's a cozy mystery series. The first one was Arsenic and Adobo, which is one of my favorite cozy mysteries of all time. Let's see. We also have Homicide and Hollow Hollow, which made me crave Hollow Hollow. And I discovered a Filipino restaurant um, in Minneapolis that could serve me Hollow Hollow. <laughs> We've got Blackmail and the Binka. And your newest one, Mia, is Murder and Mammon. And I would um, love to hear just a quick overview of the series and your newest book. Sure. So uh, as you said, I write cozy mysteries. And for anyone who's not familiar with that, I, I tend to like refer to cozy mysteries as like Hallmark movies with dead bodies. Um, the idea being that there is no graphic violence, sex or, you know, quote unquote, bad language on the page. I literally started writing books that my mom could read without me having to be like, oh, don't go to page like, you know, and the my series centers around Lila Macapagal. It uh, focuses on a family owned Filipino restaurant in a fictional town outside of Chicago. And, you know, in the first I, I love the first book because <laughs> um, Lila, your main character, comes back to this city called Shady Palms, it, you know, outside of Chicago. And it's her first time back. She's just moved back from like a failed relationship in the city. And her ex-boyfriend shows up and falls dead into a plate of adobo, <laughs> I think. And I just think it is so it is so funny to me that we read these things for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, Cozy mystery as a genre, because it's something mm-hmm. that I think it it falls under this like ballooning of true crime content mm-hmm. as well. And and women especially consuming this kind of content. But I think that cozy mysteries are a completely different beast. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wonder what you think of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because like, I am not a, tri- a true crime girly like at all. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, you know, like the world is just like terrible enough. So like, you know, the point of... um. So again, like when I use like the Hallmark movie references, like I'm being like joking, but not like it's it's because it's like cozy mysteries are meant to kind of hit that same sort of like comfort level, right? Where it's like just like with romance, where like you know the end, like in a cozy mystery, you know that you know um miss like the, the killer is not going to get away, that you know that the mystery is going to get solved, you know that things are going to get wrapped up neatly, you know that um if there is like a kid or a pet, they will be fine, nothing bad will ever ever happen to a child, you know. Uh, to a child or an animal in a cozy mystery that dog on my like that was like the very first question I got on Goodreads before I was even published like does the dog live I was like yes the dog will live forever Longanisa will be fine I love um, Longanisa she makes <laughs> she makes an appearance in all of the books yeah Longanisa is Filipino sausage correct yes yeah <laughs> so, so it's like she's like she's a little you know she's a wiener dog she's a dachshund and so she's named after like these like short fat like Filipino sausages that I love <laughs> That is so um, cute. And there's these elements of just like quirkiness and and lightheartedness, even though we're mm-hmm. talking about murder or blackmail mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Yeah. So like with like the like the with like the crimes themselves. So like I do I do try to be careful. Like I don't want to be flip like even though like it's fiction, I don't want to be flippant about the fact that like a life was lost, right? So the 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 humor is not around like the death itself or the crimes even necessarily. It's like everything around it. Um, where you kind of need those moments of levity 
uh, to, like to get like to kind of catch your breath and to kind of be like, whew, oh, wow, this is pretty, you know, heavy because I do touch on some tough topics, but just with a lighter hand. And and I do have content warnings in the beginning of my books, just in case, like, you know, you pick up my book. It's really cute. There's a dog. They're bright colors. You want to beach read. And then you're like, oh, PTSD. Like, I, I give warnings ahead of time just in case you are not prepared for, you know, or not looking for uh, certain types of content uh, at the moment. And I think all authors should be practicing this. I think it's so, it just, it shows that you care about your readers and mm -hmm. um, that you are taking their experiences into account and you want them to have a safe, wonderful time reading your book. And mm -hmm. as a cozy mystery, yeah, like we said, it, it, it feels lighthearted, but there are always, when you're talking about crime. <laughs> yeah, it's still, it's still crime fiction is like what I always say. It's like, I want like, they are meant to be fun. They are meant to be entertaining. They are meant to make you laugh and just be like, oh, that was a nice escape from the world. But at the same time, I'm still touching on real world things. And like, that's going to get messy and uncomfortable. And, you know, I want people to make their own decisions, whether or not they're, this is the book they want to be reading at that moment. I did a little research into, you know, what constitutes a cozy mystery? Where did this, this phrase genre come from? And I just want to share what I found very quickly. So this comes as a response to the um, like early 20th century, like grisly mysteries. Mm -hmm. So like detective thrillers and like it, it's, I think that Agatha Christie kind of bridged this gap of like mm -hmm. really focused on the horrors of a crime or of a murder mm -hmm. in particular and switching, I guess, switching to a, uh, a more puzzle-based mystery mm -hmm. where the story is more focused around not the salacious details, but about mm -hmm. figuring it out. And it usually has an amateur sleuth at the mm -hmm. forefront instead of a detective or a police, um, a police officer. So I want to know, were those some of the things that you were thinking about, these kinds of tropes or, you know, beats that you, that this genre typically hits as you're writing are you mm -hmm. like okay when you when you kind of came up with this series were you like okay Lila has to be an amateur sleuth mm -hmm. uh it has to you know focus on the puzzle of the mystery rather than the details of the crime or the um the blood and mm -hmm. the, how somebody died um were you taking that into account when you were writing this or was it mostly like I want to write a fun story that my mom can read <laughs> yeah no like so I did because like because I read a lot of cozy mysteries so I know what's expected and what, what the genre is about um you know like like some people will write a story and they don't really know what genre it is and like later on people will tell them they're like oh okay cool but like not me like I've read like dozens and dozens of cozy mystery like my mom was the one who introduced me she used to work at walden books when those existed r.i.p yes. and now she works at a library here in chicago and she's a page she's the person who shelves the books um and you know one day she came across this this book called like um like a chocolate chip cookie murder like by joanne flukes part of this popular hannah swenson series and she was like oh like books that combine are like my family's two favorite things you know like food and mystery and so she started reading it and then i started buddy reading it with her to you know, just like to have something to, to do together. And, uh, you know, I, and that's how I, my introduction to not just cozy mystery, but culinary cozy, because cozy has a lot of, like there's a subgenre within the subgenre. Like there's crafting, you know, there's like your culinary, which is what I focus on, which is about food um, and, you know, and other things like that. And then but like the more I read, um, the more I just didn't see myself in any of these books or anyone like me or even close to me. Like even the characters that were supposedly the same age as me, I was like, this is not my experience at all. 
which is like true in most of fiction, right? Like there's not tons of like queer Filipino American protagonists, you know? Um, and so I wanted to, I always knew I wanted to put my own spin on like the cozy mystery. And when it comes to like genre tropes, you know, I, particularly in the first book, in the very first page, like I was leaning in purposely to have fun with it. Um, Cause I was talking to, so I have a, a, a wonderful mentor named Kelly Garrett. She, her first series, um, the Hollywood homicide and Hollywood ending, those are more like on the cozy side, but now she also writes like adult, um, uh, like domestic suspense, like standalones, uh, like a sister. There's a new one called uh, missing white woman coming out in January. And so we were, we were chatting and we were talking about like the modern cozies that we have been reading. And she's the one who pointed out to me, she was like, you know, a lot of the cozies we've been reading are kind of like, you know, romantic comedies. Mm. And I didn't like I did not see the connection at all. I was like, I don't like what are you talking about? There are like there's so many dead people in these books. <laughs> and then she was like, no, like really, like, really break it down because she used to be a screenwriter. So like, she was used to kind of like analyzing these kinds of things. Uh, she worked for Cold Case and she was just like, look, you know, and she started like listing these things. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's right. Like like in every book I had been reading and that she also pointed out, like it was almost it's, it was almost always a woman um, between the ages of like late 20s, early 40s usually from a small town they moved to the big city they couldn't hack it for whatever reason they had to return to said small town working at the family's like ridiculous business like a christmas tree lot or like you know the candle store like a really niche thing and there's like almost always like a romantic subplot involved and like you fall in love again whether with like a person or the town or like you're you know rediscovering your family ties you know stuff like that and i was like oh my god these books are just rom-coms with dead bodies <laughs> and so you know when I started writing Arsenic and Adobo, I wanted to like kind of lean in and have like fun with that idea. So the first one is like me kind of heavily playing with those tropes, you know, because a lot of people, you know, they make fun of romance and cozy mysteries. They say, oh, they're so formulaic. You know how they're going to end, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, but like, that, like one, that's part of the comfort. Exactly. Right. Is knowing that you're going to have that happy ending. But it's all in like how the author gets there. That's the fun. That's the so like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take all these trappings from this genre that I've loved so much for so many years that I never saw myself in and kind of put my own spin on them. Yeah. And and you've also you mentioned that it's often like a woman coming back to her hometown or a woman starting a, a new career, blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm -hmm. And you are, you know, you're doing those exact things, but you're also showcasing lila's community of women too i think my mm -hmm. favorite side characters are the calendar aunties they're you know, <laughs> yeah um, the calendar crew yeah their names are april may and june and i just love them they're just you know aunties that are all up in your business and i strive to be like these women i love <laughs> them um but you have this whole just like you know we are feminist book clubs so i'm gonna say mm -hmm. it like this whole feminist um kind of matriarchy that's mm -hmm. it's in the background of lila's life to help her uh that she can lean on and yes there are men that come and go mm -hmm. <laughs> but they are not the center they are not the ones solving the mysteries they are not the ones that are you know moving the narrative forward and i think mm -hmm. that it is so refreshing to me to read about really smart, really interesting characters mm -hmm. um, in this genre that aren't just the, oh, this all happened to me. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really kind of taking the mystery by the horns. I, I just finished um, Black Male and Babinka, and um, 
it's just it's so funny to me how nobody questions that like Lila's at the center of another like, <laughs> mystery and they're just like all right I guess we got to figure this one out too I just I love that she's got some um co-founders at a cafe at this point that are also just like some of my favorite characters ever um yeah I just you give so much agency to your characters and I Thank really you. really love that in particular <laughs> and it's so funny because like people have asked me and like and like it's it was something that was unintentional like the fact that it's like so almost like like you said like mentioned like a matriarchy and so um because like in the books like she's an orphan like her parents passed away when she was young and she's being raised by her paternal aunt and grandmother like tita means um aunt in tagalog so tita rosie which the series and the restaurant is named after is actually her her auntie and um i you know i don't know why like you know like you know, I have my parents, like, I grew up with my parents in a, you know, I grew up in a multi-generational household like her, but I had my parents, my maternal grandparents, you know, brothers, cousins. So I actually grew up with a lot of men in my household. But I think unintentionally, when, because I, one, I wanted to make her not me. I didn't want her to be a self-insert character because I had another book that never sold where it was basically a self-insert character. But, you know, <laughs> it was it was my first book ever. Like, how was, you know, it was a learning experience. And so I did want her to make her a little bit different, but still, like, the elements of, like, I knew it had to be um, you know, intergenerational, because that's very typical in Filipino households and many other immigrant households. And so even though my house was mostly men, you know, with my grandfather, my dad, two brothers, my two male cousins, um, and, you know, they were all great. We were all really tight. My dad and my grandfather were wonderful. But in many ways, it was the women who ran the house who kind of like got things done it was between my grandmother, my mom and me being the oldest daughter of an immigrant family. And, you know, I, and talk with other friends, particularly like my other Southeast Asian friends, that was very typical. We're like, yes, you know, like the men were the house, you know, in like that weird, you know, patriarchal standard way where like, OK, like they tended to make the most money. They tended to make the biggest decisions. But in the day to day running of the house, it was the women who ran everything and that like that was my experience like that was for many of my best friends that was their experiences as well and like unintentionally I think I just kind of streamlined that where like um the like these are like the women running things and they're like different ideas of like what strength can be and different ideas of what resilience looks like um and like that's what I was like, very unintentionally putting in um not knowing that until other people pointed it out and I was like oh okay yeah I guess that is something that I was just kind of exploring like with those characters yeah. And I think that it also adds to the cozy mystery part of it, too, is like knowing that there is there are many generations of women that Lila can mm -hmm. lean on when she needs exactly. to. Exactly. That network, that support, that community. Because yeah. community yeah. is so important to cozy. Like, that's, like, why make them an amateur? You know, why set it in this small town if it's not going to have these ripple effects on the people? You know, that's the whole point for, for you know, in general when it comes to, to film cozy mystery. Exactly. Well, I just think these books feel like a hug. <laughs> um, I have been I've been talking about them since Arsenic and Adobo, which came out in what, 2018, 2019? No, tw I started writing them in 2018. They, uh, okay. they, I'm a recent debut. They came out 2021. I got to date oh my goodness. the pandemic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You're just cranking them out. How many more of these? <laughs> of, how much more of Lila can I expect to see? Because I'm excited. Um, so right now I'm contracted up to book six. So I was very like, so I originally sold it in a three book deal. Um, so uh, Arsenic and Adobo came out May 2021. And it does feel like the reason I'm sure like why it feels like it was so long because uh, two books came out in one year. So 
2021 was arsenic and adobo and then 2022 had both homicide and halo halo and blackmail and babinka so they're roughly between like eight to 11 months apart like less than a year these books are coming out and book four i said uh, murder and mamon comes out next month uh as of this recording uh september 19th and as you mentioned like um the calendar crew being your favorite book four murder and mamon is all about the calendar crew i cannot wait is them <laughs> I, I do thankfully have an advanced e-copy of it that I Ooh. haven't gotten to yet, but <laughs> I I am so excited to crack into it. It's going to be the perfect summer read. Um, What are some of your favorite cozy mysteries? Before we sign off, let's send mm-hmm. everybody out. I mean, my recommendation are obviously your books. <laughs> um, But if you were to recommend a series or an author or just one book in this genre, what would you recommend? So I mentioned uh, Kelly Garrett's earlier books, the Hollywood, uh, the Detective by Day series, Hollywood Homicide, Hollywood Ending, um, the Vivian Chen Noodle Shop Mysteries. Those were the first books that came out and I was like, oh, cool, like Asian Americans in like cozy mystery. We exist. That's great. I also really love VM Burns uh, Mystery Bookshop series. Like for those, for me, like you said, like this is like the cozy the the Mystery Bookshop series is like the coziest, in my opinion. Because it it actually has like two mysteries in one as well. So it follows like a, a middle-aged black woman who opened up a mystery bookshop after her husband passed because it was their dream. And so you get the and then but her other dream is to be a British historical mystery writer. So you get the modern day contemporary mystery, which happens centering her her bookshop, but then you also get interwoven the pages of the mystery that she's working on, which is a British historical. So like it this like every book has, and then like um, if you love the calendar crew. You will love her grandma, her Nana Joe, and like her group of senior <laughs> citizens helping her solve mysteries. They're super, super fun. Um, and finally, there's um, so I'm trying to not only do culinary because like not everyone loves food the way I do. And then the last, um, a recent series I started reading is my friend Olivia Black. She has the Record Shop Mysteries, which is like a which is like a vinyl record shop run by sisters in Austin, Texas. So if you love music and then like the food scene in Austin, uh, those books are very fun. I believe the the most recent, like I think it's only the second book, uh, A Fatal Groove just came out. Awesome. We will put links to everything in the show notes. And I just have to say like when the world feels like it's on fire and everything sucks. <laughs> yeah. This is what I fall back on. I, I always mm-hmm. go back to this genre because it just makes me feel better so thank you for (laughs) writing it um for keeping my mental health yes (laughs) up to stuff um and to all of your colleagues as well we I wouldn't I wouldn't be here without (laughs) y'all thank you yeah I mean I I like I literally in book two because I wrote book two during 2020 I don't know if you remember anything happening that year but like (laughs) I shout out romance because like again as a cozy mystery writer you know I needed to read outside myself and like I'm like romance saved my mental health in 2020 so which is why like I feel like those two genres just really play well together oh one thing I want to recommend for you and your listeners you know I mentioned earlier that well well, like (laughs) books in general but particularly the cozy mystery genre can feel um not super diverse um and if you are looking to check this out you know check out the subgenre but you're like ah you know i don't know if there's anything for me or for people who look like me um i'm also part of a group called crime writers of color which is co-founded by my mentor kelly garrett uh and our friends Gigi pondian and walter mosley um and if you go to the website it's just crimewritersofcolor.com we have a book directory 
where you can actually find, you know, more books for your TBR, because I'm sure your TBR is not big enough. Um, and it's separated by subgenre. So like if you want to find cozy mysteries and traditional, you know, mysteries by crime writers of color, you can. It's also even separated by like racial and ethnic group. If you're if you are maybe like a librarian or like a school teacher where you're like, I need more recommendations for, you know, Asian American Heritage Month or Latina, Her you know, one of those kinds of things. We You can also search that way. So um, it's a great resource. I highly recommend it to everyone. We exist. We are out there. It's just trying to get, you know, spread the word and let people know how to find us. Amazing. Um, I I did not know about that. So I am really, I, right after this, I'm going to Crime Like, you'll be shocked. Like, oh my God, I didn't realize there's so many of, you know, it's like <laughs> one of those where like, it feels like, oh, there's really not that many. And then you look and you're like, oh, Oh, great. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, we will definitely link that in the show notes as well. And what a really cool resource that I'm so glad exists in this world. Nia, this has been a delight. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And oh, sorry, I, I know you're editing. I just one more thing. You know, when I'm talking diversity, I don't want I'm I'm not just a crime writer of color. I'm also a queer crime writer of color. And two and like uh, recently there's an explosion what we call cozies, which are queer cozies. <laughs> And a new one that I got, uh, I got to read an early version and blurb it. I think it just, it's coming out this month, I believe. It's called Bored to Death, B-O-A-R-D. Um, and it has uh, a trans male lead who is taking over the board game shop uh, from his father. And as a huge geek, the book that never sold uh, was Solving a Murderer at a Comic Book Convention in Chicago. <laughs> so like, I am a huge nerd. And reading that book as a queer person, um, you know, who's been like reading mysteries for a long time and not really seeing what that book was a lot of fun as well. So I want to like for all the types of readers, like there are queer cozies, there are cozies by people of color, they're all different kinds. So yes, who, you, you can who's find the them. author of that one. Uh, C.J. Connor. C.J. Connor. All right. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, if you ask me to recommend books, I'm just going to be like, oh, oh, oh. No, and this, this is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. <laughs> sorry. We want to blow I know up you keep trying to wrap it up. <laughs> No, this is great. Thank you so much for everything. And um, we will be in touch. All right. Sounds good. Hi, my name is Ashley. My pronouns are she, her, and I am joined today with Ra and Marikita to talk about Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayburn. We're going to share our thoughts on the book. Uh, potential casting, um, if there was an adaptation done, and just overall thoughts. Um, I will begin. I really enjoyed the story. I've been reading um, a number of books lately where it's been a lot of jibber-jabber, and it was nice to just read this book and to be told a story and the origins of these women, and then also just getting into the ending of a book. And it wasn't anything too fluffy or too um, over the top. It was it felt as realistic, although a lot of these the women were in situations that many people aren't necessarily in. So it was an enjoyable reading experience for me. Two things that really stuck out to me were just having four distinguished characters. And also um, there was a mention in the book, um, someone probably had an appetite of honey bunches of bitch. And that's probably my appetite. That's that's my um, uh, daily serving nutritional plan um, just at any given moment. So I thought that that was a funny way of um, 
you know, having some sarcasm in the story, but also um, just being funny in general. So those are my thoughts. And Ra, take it over. Yeah. So I'm Ra, they, them pronouns. Um, I completely forgot about that honey bunches of bitch portion of the book. And oh, gosh, this book was hilarious to me. I it came to me at a time that I felt like I needed a little bit of comedy in my life or at least something that's going to keep me going. I was just in a bit of a reading slump all of August, uh, which is okay. It happens. We have books that pull us out of it. And I felt like Killers of a Certain Age is that book. Just like Ashley, I loved the four distinct characters that we had. And it was just a pleasant, absurd story to read. I mean, I think the thing that drew me in the most was the fact that it was about four middle-aged women retiring from an assassin's guild. Uh, I know they didn't use the word guild, but I like the word guild. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just fun, absurd, funny. And if I had like one one little criticism is the fact that the ending was too fast. I could have I could have a second book with these characters and be happy about it. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. <laughs> uh, I'm Mariquita Guerrera, uh, she, her pronouns. And um, I feel uh, really similarly to both of you. This book also came to me at a time when I was dealing with some like bigger feelings, a lot of stress and anxiety in my life. And it was exactly what I needed. You know, I needed something that was going to distract me and entertain me and make me laugh and um, feel all those positive endorphins and wasn't going to like, like it was going to be engaging enough that I would be able to transcend what I was dealing with. Um, but not so wrapping me up so much that I kind of lost track. And I loved that it's about older women and they are distinct characters. They all have their good backstory. They all have their personalities and they all have um, sex lives. Like you don't really see that a lot in um, media portrayals of older women. It's sort of like we disappear at a certain period of time and become invisible and don't have needs or wants. But these were all really clear characters. And I, I loved how, it did have like a really distinct beginning, middle and end. It was packaged well. I thought it would be great adapted to a movie. I agree though. I would like to see more of these characters. I missed, I sort of missed the book when it ended. I didn't want it to end quite as quickly as it did either. As you were speaking, I was kind of thinking about how quickly it did end and how the fact that the book was told in two different timelines. And it's just like, if you did say have like a second book, how would that even look? Like, would it only be one timeline or would you still be back, like backtracking to the days that they were training with uh, one of my favorite characters, Constance, uh, who was the uh, person who trained her crew of assassins. But it'd be, I'd be curious to know what that would look like if there was like another, another book with these characters. Uh, I want the backstory. Wouldn't be going out. Yeah, well, like the 1979 backstory is great. Like, I think I even have bookmark here um, all the characters and what Constance said about them. Like, let's see. Helen has a Jacqueline Kennedy quality. Uh, Natalie is like Audrey Hepburn. Mary Alice is just voluptuous. And Billy looks like she likes to have sex. 
<laughs> those were their main defining characteristics. And those that is exactly how I picture them, which makes me want to cast the whole group. So who would you cast? You know, my brain automatically just screams Gina Davis. But that's because like Gina Davis is just such she's an, a feminist icon. So why shouldn't she be in a movie about middle-aged women that is a very, it's a feminist book. So yeah, like why not Gina Davis? And, uh, oh God, who's the other woman in Thelma and Louise? You might as well just throw her in. They're like a package deal. Yes. (laughs) They're a package deal. They can both be in it. (laughs) Yeah. Those are the only two that I thought. I could just keep listing older women that I adore that I think would be great, like Jamie Lee Curtis. (laughs) I don't know for who, but, you know, like, I just like these people. And I'm like, "Mm, no, maybe I just want, like, AI to create this movie for me. (laughs) I like Helen Mirren, but she's, like, a little – she's older than the demographic in the the book. But she – I feel like she could really – she's just, like, so elegant and such a badass that I feel like I'd like to see her in in something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she's an unnamed character, like a a just-introduced character – I can even see her like training. The, the, oh, like she's the, the Constance. <laughs> yeah, just training the women and just, um, you know, she's like, well, kind of in my day, this is what we had to do. And then she gets to see the changes that happen with these women. She gets to kind of cheer them on from the side and be like a proud trainer. And I say one of the pieces that I really liked about it were like all the little small jokes that were in the book that um, helped like feed the plot along, but also like, I don't know, they, they really like added to the character of the book, like the app that was designed for them to use uh, to communicate oh privately. It was <laughs> menopause. Menopause. With yeah. Paws. With a kitty. Yeah, with the kid <laughs> And, you know, and really like playing up the fact that like people have a lot of like discomfort with um, things related to like, menstruation and menopause and the caretaking of the body, especially as it pertains to women and like using that discomfort as a way to bring in poison, you know, and like Mm -hmm. smuggle things and to communicate um, with subterfuge. Like I really, I thought that that was really funny and clever. I, I loved the way that these jokes like kind of played along with like just ageism and the fact that like older women tend to just fade out into the background. But I think that's what really helped them like without getting giving any spoilers, like that's what really helped them get through and fight for their lives is that no one was expecting them like expecting any of this from them. Yeah, they like had a lot of times where they were like, had to, um, act in disguise and they like kind of just dress like older women and people just didn't see them. I don't think that's the first time we've seen that, but I loved it for this Yeah, <laughs> regardless. Yeah. <laughs> I was flipping through my notes and one page that I tagged was um, a character talking about being 60 and going on about guilt. Um, and the passage, it says guilt is our birth birthright guilt if we want to be mothers guilt if we want to take the pill instead or choose to abort guilt if we stay home with our kids or guilt if we work 
and then so on and so forth. And it reminded me of just like women getting that place where they can say what they feel and it's a bit of a monologue. And it really just comes from the heart and the brain at the same time. And just the emotions really come out. And it was just a really poignant part of the story. It's towards the end of the book. Um, it really had something to say that I think we haven't really talked or heard about in books or film. Yeah, I think um, there was a little bit of that acknowledgement. Well, a little bit. There was a lot of that acknowledgement right in the Barbie movie with um, America Ferreira's monologue. And people, I think, you know, joked about it. It was too earnest. Um, But other people were like, no, this is like, we feel brimming over with this. And like brimming over with the reality that we have been like sold a bill of goods. We have been told again and again and again that this is the way it's supposed to be. And like, there's this kind of awareness over and over and over again that like, this isn't right. There's no reason for it. We're holding more than we should be holding. And I, even when you were reading that, Ashley, like I felt like emotional about it because it is you know, a general overwhelming feeling, I think that a lot of people in caretaker roles, you know, have, or people that are shunted into caretaker roles, whether they want to be in them or not. So back into the casting (laughs) piece of it, um, four actors that I thought of on the spot. um, And certainly I'm not casting a casting director. I have a major respect for casting directors before actors I thought of were Carla Gugino, uh, Juliette Lewis, Gina Torres, and Constance Marie. Just to give a variation of actors um, to play these characters, um, women who we've seen or I've seen on screen um, who really captivate and who can really give an emotional performance but also the action pieces as well. I think that that could be hard to balance. Some actors can either do, they can do either or, um, but maybe not both and. Um, So that's just off the the cuff. Um, I would really like to see an adaptation of this um, because I think it's necessary to see it in a new medium. I, I love it hearing you cast things, Ashley, because you're always so thoughtful when you're talking about like actors and music so it's just I love hearing you talk about that so that question mainly was for you oh great I feel so honored and you nailed it you know you absolutely nailed it (laughs) so any lingering thoughts about the book maybe more about a favorite character um even if it wasn't the four main uh women I I mean I think Billy was maybe my favorite um and i know that we like the book focuses on billy's perspective um and so it's kind of easy to favor her but she was also like such a badass she's so fucking cool and just like very capable very confident you know incredible character and one of the things that i really enjoy about this book is i feel like i could recommend it to like just about anybody to read and it 
can give you that, like it can give someone that, like, I feel like really funny, engaging books can be hard to come by sometimes. Mm -hmm. And this definitely falls into that category. And I want to, I want to pass that out to more and more people. Yeah, I, I agree. I love, I love Billy. She was my favorite. And that's probably who I would cast Gina Davis for. Uh, (laughs) um, But I have like, just random little they're, they're not questions that need to be answered, but they're like, I'm so confused by this. How does this happen? Like the fact that Akiko <laughs> is bringing their animal all over to different countries. I don't know how that works out. That does not happen. You got to quarantine that animal. Um, so that was upsetting to me. <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. yeah. I was <laughs> like, mm, I don't think we need that part. I agree. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just, you know what? No, I'm going to leave my last thought out because I think it's a spoiler. So I loved this book. I would recommend it to my mom, even though she'd probably hate it. So no, not my mom, a very cool older friend that I would like to give it to. Um, Or, you know, a young, someone younger would probably enjoy it as well. Everyone. (laughs) Ashley, your thoughts, final thoughts? Yeah, I liked how just as much as the characters had to reckon with themselves in their present age, they also had to when they were younger. Like when we meet Billy and she's becoming recruited um, and just where she is in her life. And she's kind of like, me, huh? What? But the person who she's talking with is like, "Uh, yeah, you. And this is why. And it it makes her focus on what's important in that place in her young life and it ties back into where she is in the present. So that's where the the dual timelines really come together to focus on the present. I just I really enjoyed it. I told my friend yesterday I am not a thick book person. This is like 342 pages. It was just enough for me. And then, you know, I could read it again and go on about my merry day. And I've been told a story. So thank you, Deanna Rayburn, for doing that for us. Yes. Thank you, Deanna. And with that said, thank you so much for listening and happy reading. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman.